Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us at Leeds Book Club for our latest podcast. We are joined today by Mark Catley, a screenwriter and playwright who is currently working at the West Yorkshire Playhouse on Sherlock Holmes' Best Kept Secret, which will be out, I believe, on the 18th of May until the 8th of June. Hi, Mark. Thank you very much for joining us. That's all right. Thank you for coming. Uh, do you mind telling us a little bit about how you got, got started in this project? Um, well, it was an unusual one because they approached me once they'd got a director and a production in place. So um, it's normally the writer that, that starts this ball rolling. Um, but this time around, I think it was one of the producers had, had seen, um, I think, one of Nikolai Foster's productions and thought it reminded them of Sherlock and they thought he'd be the right person to do it. Mm. So I met Nikolai last June, I think it was June or July. Um, and it was clear that he was approaching a few writers and it was a job that I really felt I wanted because I've been a massive fan of Sherlock all my life and especially the TV show recently, I really got me back into it. The BBC Benedict cover yeah. Martin Freeman, yeah. it's fantastic. It is. Um, and I could you know, I could sort of see the, the commercial aspects of it as well. Hmm. Uh, and so I really wanted it, so I, I sat up the night after and just came up with the story that we, we're doing today and just kind of made made it so Nikolai couldn't say no. <laughs> so I came up with like the strongest story I could. Yeah. And um, and yeah, he went with it. And you've said it in, in sort of the ether years, if I'm correct, <laughs> after the, the Reichardt falls, but, but prior to his reappearance, because there's never any explanation of what happens in that. No. Um, he just sort of disappears for yeah. a few years. Well, Conan Doyle actually killed the character off, mm. um, but then the fans um, were outraged and they sort of, put some pressure into bringing back. Am I correct? People were wearing mourning. Some some of them were putting on black oh, bands yeah, yeah, and that stuff. Was, as it, though was, a... it was enormous at the time. I was trying, I'm trying to think what the equivalent is now, but I don't think there is one. Probably Bieber or something yeah, maybe, like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, it, so, so they put pressure on him to bring him back, and he brought him back without any real explanation of what had happened mm. at Reichenbach Falls. So obviously that felt a really clear place to start. Mm. So I imagined... I do go on to say what I think happened at Reckonbach Falls in this, and um, I can't give that away. No, of course. Um, and, yeah, so it's sort of set, I think, two years afterwards, we said roughly two years. Mm. It's all a bit vague with Colin Doyle, so I'm trying not to say anything specific myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and Sherlock has given him whatever happened at the falls has um, caused him to stop investigating. Bit broken. Yeah, a bit broken. Yeah, Watson describes him as a shell of a man. Um, and the, the he's sort of reignited when his brother Mycroft is arrested for treason. He's one of my favourite characters yeah. within, within the, the Holmes universe, as it were. The, f the first idea I had was to use Mycroft, because mm. I think Mycroft is an extension of Holmes himself. Yeah. And he's also a warning of where Holmes can go to if he's not careful. Because mm. Mycroft, you know, if, if you're thinking about this in modern parlance, he's like quite seriously autistic. From the description of him in the book, saying yeah. that, you know he's he's more intelligent than Sherlock, but he's more withdrawn from society. Yeah. And for me, Watson is the thing is the difference between the two men. That humanising force, yeah. Yeah. keeping so him on the straight Yeah, Mycroft doesn't have that, so yeah. he just descends into his sort of autism and his genius nature. Um, but Sherlock has got Holmes sort of anchoring him mm. to the world. Um, so yeah, I knew I, I wanted to use Mycroft immediately. And I'm, I would suspect if you're a, a fan of the classic books, and I mean, for, for novels and many, many more short stories, mm. I think, do you, con do you contain the, the, what I would always consider sort of the essential elements? Yeah. Um, so 
there's a slight I don't know, almost gothic overtones. It's very Victorian. Mm. It has to be for uh, the modern series. I think have given us a beautiful new imaging of it. But for those yeah. of us who love the novels, there are motifs. That oh yeah, yeah. We would hope so, to. Yeah, we've set in eighteen ninety. Uh, I can't remember when. <laughs> the eighteen nineties. The eighteen nineties. Yeah, and um, it's very, um, uh, it's very respectful to Conan Doyle's world. Mm. I don't, you know, I don't say anything that's, that I don't contradict anything that he's said. And we acknowledge all the cases that have gone before this as well. Mm. And we mention them quite a lot as well. It's quite exciting when we mention um, sort of events at the time and, and people around at the time. I think Gladstone gets a mention and Oscar Wilde and Jack the Ripper and stuff like that. I was that. going to ask actually, how, like, uh, uh, within a fictional world, how mm. much real life research do you need to do to ground it in a realistic sort of setting? Well, I think the more you do, the more realistic the, the character himself feels. And I think, you know... I almost got confused myself thinking that Sherlock was real at one point because he is such a part of that world mm. and he's such a part of, of uh, Victorian England that he kind of feels real. And, you know, so when you, when you mention Jack the Ripper in this play, it doesn't feel um, out of place. Out of place, yeah. 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 So it totally feels like it, you know, it belongs together. Yeah. Uh, and any other characters that you can let us know? I, mm. I think I might have seen downstairs that um, Irene... Mm -hmm. uh, makes a reappearance. I find her a fascinating character because, as yeah. far as I'm aware, she's referenced in two stories. Yeah. That's it. She but appears, she's she captured the imagination. One. She appears in one story, referenced in two. Mm -hmm. I think the thing is that Sherlock, that was the only time Sherlock has ever been faced with a female nemesis who you get the impression that he kind of liked as well and he mm -hmm. respected her. And because he kept the portrait that she leaves him at the end of Scandal in Bohemia, yeah. <coughs> you get the impression that he. There's affection. Yeah, there's affection there. Yeah. And for me, the, the interesting thing about writing a character like that is putting him in brand new situations. So, putting him with his brother Mycroft, who's, you know, believes he's more intelligent than he is, is interesting. Um, but then putting him in a situation where love is in the air mm. is also interesting, especially for a character who's uh, awkward mm. with anything human. <laughs> Any human emotions, he can't really deal with it. Um, so yeah, it's just it's a joy to write Irene and Sherlock together. Mm. Um, and Lestrade, I, I presume oh, Lestrade's there. The, the one who's missing, and, and people will say something is Mrs. Hudson. Mm. Um, but she did. There was no real narrative for in this particular story. We reference her a few times, mm. but you never, you yeah. never see it. But in terms of the central characters, we've got Mycroft, Lestrade, um, Irene, and there's a couple of other characters who uh, are just known by their occupations at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but they're kind of, you know, brand new characters. Yeah. Not from the existing world. <laughs> that must be very exciting, actually. Uh, when, well, and presumably the production now, it's coming out very, very shortly, less than a fortnight, I would say. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, presumably you've had a few run-throughs now, you're getting to see it. Can you explain, a, I mean, you, I know you've been doing this for, for some time. In fact, mm. I think downstairs I saw that um, the first thing you ever wrote, you acted in, and you were yeah, on stage and you heard the first laugh and yeah. it was quite a powerful feeling. But what is it like when you actually see something and characters that you've created brand new for that world, when you actually see them on the stage? It's, I, I, I sort of learned now not to have too many expectations of what it will end up looking like. Mm. Um, because that can only lead to disappointment in yourself. But you sort of can't help it as well. You, kind of, you, know, you do picture it as it's going on. And quite honestly, the stuff that I've seen in the rehearsal room so far has exceeded my expectations. But also it's become something that I, I didn't realise it was. I always tend to write quite naturalistically and 
little bit tongue-in-cheek with some dark humour. And all that's in there. But because it's Sherlock, because it's familiar characters and because it's Victorian England, they're playing it quite heightened. And it's quite big, it's quite... Um, you imagine there's a bit piano music going behind it. It's like very that. dramatic. Yeah, very dramatic. And that was a shock at first when I saw it like that. It's like, oh, wow, I've never expected anything I've written to look this kind of heightened and dramatic. But it works so well. And Sherlock himself, um, Jason, the actor, is just throwing himself into it so much. He is absolutely manic. Mm. I've never seen a portrayal of Sherlock that's, that's, that's that crazy. <laughs> yeah, he's really, he's really gone there with him. And Johnny Lee Miller and Benedict Cumberbatch have not played him as straight. No, <laughs> so no, that's, no. that's oh, quite yeah, interesting. Yeah. I'm looking forward now yeah. to seeing... Uh... This is, I would imagine if David Tennant ever played Sherlock, he'd kind of do it in, ah. in a similar you know, manic style. hearts explode just yeah. at the thought. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but Jason is I mean, he's fantastic. He brings such an energy to it. Um, and it's brilliantly offset with Watson, um, Andrew Hall, who... Plays it very straight. He mm. entirely believes he's a doctor. Yeah. Which again, I've not expected. But when you see Andrew doing it, it's like, oh yeah, he's a doctor. Yeah. You can imagine him coming around to your house, making house calls and all sorts of stuff. And um, he's very grounded. He's very. He's, he's the straight man. Too, mm. too. Because I think Sherlock. the is it was it oh I'm so bad with names Basil. Rathborn. Rathborn. Mm. It, it, I be, I think it began with him. I know Watson was always a supporting character and there's mm. always been an element of comedy to it, particularly because there are moments where he slips into pomposity in his writing, yeah. particularly about his own mm -hmm. um, romantic entanglements and mm -hmm. things like that. But from those films onwards, he's become sort of a, a parody. I, I feel like Watson no, has become a bit of a parody of himself. Mm. So it's, I, I like with the, the more recent takes of it, he's regaining that companion sort of territory yeah. where he's... Not an equal in terms of deductive reasoning, but he's certainly superior when it comes to like interacting with the world around yeah. him. Oh, totally. He he is the the sensible one. Basically, who <laughs> can sort themselves out of situations. It's good to see him with Irene though, because there is a th she's like the third wheel, mm. and it really sets him off kilter. It puts Watson off quite a lot. Mm. All of a sudden, there's this other element in his relationship with. Sure. Which is a, ni a nice about face as well, because yeah. usually he's the one introducing Holmes to yeah. really awkward date conversations. <laughs> and, and some, uh, particularly well done, I think, in the recent Robert Downey Jr. film, yeah. where he like, meets her and makes all these deductions. And it, they're totally right, but completely off kilter. Yeah, inappropriate. <laughs> highly, highly inappropriate, I think. Um, and uh, I. I at what point do you think you'll relax? Is it not until the first, like the first night when you're actually sitting down and watching it? Do you, is that when it goes out in the world no, or? That'll be the worst. <laughs> the worst thing for me actually is after the show mm. when people coming up and saying stuff. I'm, I'm not very comfortable with that. I think I'm maybe a bit Sherlock myself, <laughs> a little bit socially awkward. Um, but I love watching it because I love the reaction from the audience. Mm. Hopefully that'll be the case. Mm. It's positive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the difficult thing for me is afterwards all the repeated conversations. You end up saying the same thing over and over again until mm. um, you get sick of the sound of your own voice. <laughs> I think a, a big part of me would rather just run away. Well, I think that I, I, a few writers that I've met, um, they said that one, one person, I think it was Chris Nixon, put it particularly well, where he says writers are the only people who don't like the sounds of their own voices. Mm. That's why they write. You yeah. write other people's stories and other people's tales so that you can have a bit of a step back from it. Yeah. There is, yeah, there is something um, removed from the process. But I used to be an actor as well, so I kind of, I must have liked the sound of my own voice at, at some point. 
Well, even actors, I would argue, yeah. step into that rather mm. than... Um, I always have such admiration for stand-up comics because they're taking on their own persona and putting it out there. Whereas yeah. at least with the role, if people don't like it, it's, oh, it's the, it was the writing. Yeah. You know, and the writers can go, the actor just yeah, didn't get totally it. You know, there's, yeah. a, there's an element of forgiveness oh, there. Oh yeah, stand-ups are on their own. Um, so how... So did you uh, did you start as an actor or as an, uh, as a writer? How did you get into this? I started as an actor, really. Um, I joined youth theatre in Leeds when I was about eighteen, and we devised our own material, mm. so it was based on the stuff that we did. And we were a bunch of loonies from Beeston, um, South Leeds, um, and we'd make up stories about our love of Leeds United, the local YMCA getting closed down. You know, but quite, quite universal things as well. You know, yeah. life, love, and, and all that. Um, and it was from that I, that I got a love of acting. But I kind of realised now, looking back, it, what I was actually doing was enjoying the creating of the material. Was the whole process. Yeah, the acting was like a bonus on top of it. So um, from that I got encouraged to pack in my dead-end jobs and go back to college. And, uh, and then went, to, went on to university, went to Goldsmiths in London. And then came out of that a bit disillusioned with theatre, to be honest with you, because I found the degree really boring. And really, um, just wasn't for me. I should not have done an academic degree. It wasn't really where I was at. Mm. Um, and came out of it a bit disillusioned, but managed to get a bit of acting work back in Leeds. And then the writing just started to take off. I'd written a play um, for my dissertation at university mm. and dug that out about a year later and gave it to Mike Kenny, the, the writer. Um, and he passed it on to a theatre company. They ended up putting it on. And that was the play I was in when I was saying I was backstage listening to the laughter. Um, and then someone approached me after that and says, would you write something, would you write this for us, would you write that for us? And eventually led to um, the Playhouse a few years later. Mm. Um, and you, you've got a long-standing relationship now with the, with the way so West Virginia Playhouse. Yeah, it's 10 years now, I think, over 10 years. Um, yeah, it's been brilliant. And there was, a, there was a big gap, there was about six years um, in between where I didn't do anything yet. And that was because TV had sort of taken over once you get into that, it's very difficult to do anything else. Mm. Um, and I can't imagine that like a play like this is very personal because everybody mm. that's there, if you're up there, you can see the reactions, you can see how the audience are responding. Mm. But television, I mean, it's a totally different field. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I always say with TV, I prefer writing television because I'm more familiar with it. I think I'm, I was brought up with the TV as the babysitter. But um, I don't like it. You know, watching the episode is, is quite a strange thing. Well, you know how it's going to end. Yeah, I know. And, but Twitter is kind of, is kind of good, because you do start to get immediate feedback now. Oh, but yeah. That is almost like... Looking, There's a lot of live viewing mm, going on there. Look, you know, watching the audience um, watch it. And it's very funny, because what you want is people to quote back your lines. That's what you're after. You're looking for lines that are strong enough for people to quote. And for that to sort of peak um, on Twitter. Because mm -hmm. I did... the. The most recent thing I had on television was Youngers, mm. which is an E4 show. Yeah. And there was a couple of lines in that that I was really happy with and I was desperate. That, you know, to see if they yeah, connect. to see if Twitter would connect with it and they did. So it's getting, because it's getting better, this TV. Mm. You can see a reaction to a certain extent, but nothing like theatre. I have to admit, I'm really excited when I found that you'd been writing for Call the Midwife. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> my mum and I, my, my parents are still in Ireland and I've mm. been over here for 11 years. We kind of watch it together. We're oh, kind right. of texting each other That's while it's on, going through um, each of the characters and yeah. arguing over who my favourites are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much on Chummy's 
she's a I, I relate a lot to Jimmy, <laughs> so so that's quite exciting. And but it, I mean that's a huge phenomenon. What, how did you get involved in that? Is it do you submit or is it more that people approach you having seen stuff that you've done previously? Yeah, they they, they approached me, which was good. We've been working for Casualty for five or six years. I've done about I think I've done about twenty two episodes of Casualty over the years, and um, in the books of Colin Midwife. And unfortunately, the author passed away mm. relatively recently. Yeah, yeah. And, 2008 uh, or 2009, I yeah. guess. And there wasn't, they had no more stories, mm. but they had a second series. <laughs> yeah. And they used up all the stories for the first series and the start of the second series. So they wanted somebody who could generate um, medical drama. Mm. And I think I'd written about five births. <laughs> casualty up until that point, so I was quite au fait with it. And so, yeah, they, they We need the baby raising guy. Yeah. <laughs> they, they did. They, they wanted someone who was comfortable with medical drama yeah. and generating medical drama stories. Mm. And because I, I, used, I was a producer at Casualty, and we did a lot of story production, but a lot of generating of stories. So. And Casualty, I mean, as a show in its own right, mm. it's not been afraid to, to test the boundaries of that. And one, and one of my favourite shows um, was the Casualty 1906 series oh, yeah. that they did. Yeah. They did 1906 or 7 or 9, I think. Yeah. Um, and it was it was very it was very strange because it has the the same I suppose the same tone as casualty and the same pace to an extent, mm. but it's a totally different landscape yeah, that you're working with. As an audience, you almost feel like you're better informed than yeah. some of the doctor. You know, you're seeing them doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, we don't do that. We don't <laughs> do that anymore. Yeah, but then it might end up just going back to that now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We might end, yeah, casual modern casualty might end up resembling casualty nineteen oh seven. It's um, careful. It does feel like it's heading in that direction rather yeah. scarily. Uh, can you tell us whether you'll be involved in the upcoming series of Call of Duty, if at all? Um I won't be. I was I was offered it and I have to confess that I loved I loved writing the show mm -hmm. and it's been hugely beneficial. I got so many job offers after my episode went out. Unreal. Um, it was nearly nine million people viewed it just yes. at night. Yeah, that's was, before yeah. they take into account yeah. any of the DVRs or iPhone. It's over ten million when they finished. It's it's insane to think of that many people watching it. But is that a sixth of the is that that's a sixth of the country, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Pre pretty much. Yeah. One in six people yeah. in the in the Great Britain have seen your your episode. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't. Well done, you. Tend not to think <laughs> but the problem is. The show isn't necessarily my best fit. Um, I need to enjoy immensely what I'm writing, because you, you know you're going to do seven or eight drafts of this script. Mm -hmm. So you've got to make sure you love the stories and you love the characters. Uh, and I don't think I'm necessarily the target audience of Call of the Midwife. It's not something I think that I'd probably watch given you know a choice. Obviously, mm -hmm. I watch all medical drama now because of because yeah. of what I do for a living. But that's more necessity than than entertainment. So I had to I had to weigh up. Um, how beneficial it would be to do another episode um, against other opportunities that were out there. And if you've spent the better part of eight years writing medical dramas, yes. I suppose it needs to be a different spin yeah, at this that. point to and keep you... And I'm still so, you know, I'm still working with casualties and advisor as well, so mm. yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to overload or just do medical drama yeah. anymore. That, um, I don't think that'll do me any good in the long run anyhow. So I'm, I'm trying other things now. So I wrote Youngers this year. I'm currently writing for My Mad Fat Diary, which is another E4 show, which is fantastic. I love the first series. Um, and then there's another, there's a BBC action, sort of, a, you know, a new Sweeney or Professionals 
coming up in a couple of years' time, which I'm working on, mm-hmm. um, which I can't say any more about, unfortunately. So you, you just mentioned sort of seven or eight drafts. We're, we're looking at an hour of television. Yeah. How long, for you, I realise it's different for all different sort of right. branches, but roughly how long a process does it take to generate an hour of television or a play of two two hours, two and a half hours? Mm. It's, it's weird because editorial of, of any play or TV show is fluid. Mm. It will fill whatever space you, you have. So if you have a lead time of eight months, it will take you eight months to write that. You'll still be writing as it goes on. And if you're given six if weeks? Given, yeah, if you're given six weeks, you'll do it in six weeks. And mm. there's a weird thing that I've realised after ten years of writing. The quality isn't much different between the two things. Yeah. Despite with the eight-month lead time, you'd end up doing, you could end up doing double figures drafts um, and just arguing over everything. But you'll always, if, as long as the editorial team is strong, you'll always end up with the strongest story, mm. which you probably got around about the second or third draft, to be honest <laughs> with you. And they've gone round about the houses to realise, oh yeah, that was the best way of telling this story. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's fluid. I- ideally for me, um, it's three months. And how much, and once it's, once the baby is gone, you've yeah. sold it off, how much control do you actually, I mean, can you, do you write in that it is as is? Uh, presumably there's an element of flexibility, there will be lines or characters yeah. that have to change for, for just through circumstances. Yes, yeah, with with theatre, it is pretty much like that. It mm. is, you know, um, the writer gets their say in most things, mm. um, which is fantastic. In TV, it's the opposite, unfortunately. Thanks very much. Bye now. Yeah, see you later. Thanks. Uh, it depends. I mean, you know, when I was in with Casualty, now, you know, I was on like my 20th episode, then they respected my opinion a lot. Mm. So, you know, I'd get control over the edit and the final say and all that sort of stuff. Um, but with something like Call the Midwife, no, not at all. No, no. <laughs> I mean, one of the reasons I'm not going back is that two of my favourite scenes just weren't even in there by the end of it. And no one had said anything. I, I, when it went out, I was like, well, where's that? Where's the end of that scene? What's gone on? And it was quite, you know, it's quite soul destroying mm. after spending six or seven months working on something and pouring your heart into it to see that they couldn't even be bothered to ring you up and say, by the way, we've not, not even filmed that. Yeah. We didn't have time, or you know, whatever. yeah, yeah, budgetary restraints, yeah, or whatever, totally. yeah. So that, that that can be annoying, but you, you do learn to live with it. I mean, youngest as well. It was, it was I barely recognised the first episode of it. There was a lot of changed lines and stuff. Mm. You know, it's one of those things. But bizarrely, they pay you because you, you know in TV you probably get paid three times what you get paid in theatre, mm. and they pay you to. So you have less of a say. It's to put her off at yeah, the end of the day. So they pay you to, to say, stop complaining. Mm. Here you go. Um, whereas it was theatre, because you know you don't necessarily get a living wage from writing a piece of theatre. Mm. I think if you went to out on an hourly rate, you'd be on yeah. less than minimum wage. With your writing, um, do you do you write novels, fic- like pure fiction, or no. is it all with the dramatic element? I don't, I don't have a novel in me, I don't. They say everybody has one. No, I don't. I don't know. That's why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> the only novel I'd have in me is, is, is about writing theatre and TV, I would imagine. Mm. It would be an autobiography. And what about heading to the big, big screen? I've, I've never had a plan. Mm. I'll go where if I, you know. Yeah. I've just tended to go where the wind blows me, so if mm. it ends up there, then great. But if not, I'm quite happy with it. I'm quite. I'm very happy with what I've done so far. So, if this is the pinnacle, then that's mm. absolutely fine by me. Well, one of my favourite um, writers, directors, producers, everything is uh, Joss Whedon, and uh, yeah. I'm, 
I'm an addict. Oh, yeah. I am a total addict. Yeah. I was, I have original. I have the original film on VHS. I was a, I was an early, um, early initiate. Uh, but I know he uh, didn't recognize the final product. That's why one of the reasons why he did the TV series was he was so heartbroken by what they had done mm. to his film. Mm. Um, yeah, you've got even less control in film. Mm. Again, the increase in money equals a lack of control over the end product, which is just bizarre. I gather in, in that case there's uh, actors that had enough cred that they were able to steamroll over. Yeah, yeah, and say what they want. Um, yeah. Which I, I imagine would happen a little bit less in theatre, actually, because... Oh, I say it, no, I mean, the, the, like the cast of Sherlock are really... If they've changed a line, they'll tell me. Mm. Changed a word. Yeah. They'll say, am I right to say, good God here before I say that? Of course you are. <laughs> say what you want, really. Well, as long as it sounds good, I don't mind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, the film world isn't something I'm in a rush to mm. get into. But if it happens... If it happens, it happens, yeah. 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 And what I would like is more control with the TV and the theatre stuff that I'm doing. Mm. I'm looking at going to producing. I think, ah. I think that's, that's the way forward. If you don't want anyone to mess with your stuff, then you've got to be the person who does the messing. Around, yeah. <laughs> and you can't blame anybody then for taking mm -hmm. out your favourite line but yourself. Absolutely, yeah. Um, if you, uh, is there anything currently on the, on the television that you're looking at and you're just going, I've given my left arm to write, well, unless you're left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think Sherlock is the best thing on television at the moment. Although, ironically, I'd say a third of the output of Sherlock I don't like. I've always liked the first episode, the last, the last episode, episode, the middle episode of, on both series, I thought, what was that? Yeah. I just did not. Did I think, not yeah, there's, there's I, I did the same with them. I really have to tackle this name issue I've got. Mm -hmm. um, Channel 4, Big, oh God, what was it called? Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror. Oh, Black Mirror, yeah. I was exactly the same with that. For yeah. each of the two series, two out of the three episodes, yeah. I was, they should be made into movies right yeah. now. And then there was one going, didn't get it. Yeah. Just just didn't get that at all. Yeah, it's, it's, I, mean, I have no idea what creates that phenomenon. Mm. I hope it doesn't happen on the third series. But yeah, there's that. I love sitcoms as well. I mean, I always, I always have had. I still watch. If Porridge is on now, I'll watch it over anything else. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to write a sitcom. Big Bang Theory is probably the one that I watch yeah. the most. Um, you know, we make a point of sitting down and watching that every week when it's on. How about your mother? No, don't, don't like it. Not at all. Don't get it either. <laughs> I hope cause, because you take Big Bang Theory, you always get the last two minutes of How I Met Your Mother. And I don't understand the format. And people have explained it to me as well. Like I still don't get how it works for that mini series. Yeah. I don't understand how. You, how I think Neil Patrick Harris has an awful lot. To yeah, do. Yeah, I imagine. He's amazing yeah. as an actor. And, yeah. Um, and Doctor Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, is there anything that though that you would go? No, I get too much enjoyment out of watching it. Wouldn't write for it. It's my pleasure, not my not a job. All right. I don't, I've never thought like that before. I, there's a weird thing about TV drama where it feels like work to me now when I'm watching it. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't. So I approach it in a different way. I'm everything is a potential project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything, everything is. Oh, I'd like to write for that. Uh, no, nothing springs to mind. I mean, bizarrely, since I've been writing in television, I'm less of a television watcher. Yeah. I'm much more picky about what I watch for entertainment. Because mm. quite often, you know, it'll spark ideas as well. You end up sitting up till two o'clock in the morning, thinking about you know, spin-off versions of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, no word of a lie, the, the greatest TV show ever for me is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and it's the thing that I, I quote in every meeting. 
um, is that that notion of a central gang with a conflicted hero mm. that's something I want to do for British drama mm. or, you know, so not copy it but take that template and use it for British drama and I've been trying to do that since I started writing mm. so I think you know a, a show I, I would like to do the British buffer obviously not with vampires <laughs> possibly not with a schoolgirl at the front of it either um, I think being human, I, I felt was quite a, a very, yeah. a, a very British take. I find it very ironic that there's now a, a, an American version of it, know, yeah. which is a bit more Buffy and supernatural esque yeah, yeah. than than the being the UK being human. But I thought they did cover that. It was a beautiful show. But it, I would have loved Ripper. I would yeah. have loved to have seen Giles bumbling around, falling through oh, yeah, yeah, old castles. Yeah. And, you know, that would have been fantastic. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah, I'd still, I still want to see. That. His intentional end for Angel. I know. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that well, but it, it, the fandom is totally split as well. You either loved it or hated it. Yeah. And um, and I think it depends on whether you were originally a Buffy fan. Because if no. you're a Buffy fan in general, you hated the ending of Angel. Yeah. Because it so wiped out the ending of Buffy. Yeah. But if you were an Angel fan first and foremost, you're like, it's the greatest hour of television. I yeah. was like, yeah. No. I liked the dragon. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Do you read the comics at all? Are you a comic fan at all? I started to read the um, the Buffy. I, I'm a massive fan, comic fan. Ah. I, re I, I read graphic novels as research, to be honest. Mm. I'm not a massive novel reader. Um, so I, I've been doing a World War One drama, and there's this British comic called Charlie's War, mm. which is from like Battle and Eagle. And that was amazing research. I much preferred reading graphic novels and everything else. So I got into the book, the following Buffy ones and it didn't really engage me that much. No, I'm actually preferring season nine to season eight. Right. Season eight, I, um, uh, we, uh, Joss has said it himself, Joss, because I know <laughs> him, you know. Um, but they, I think the team around it, they said they were so excited that they could do anything. Yeah. And then they went, yeah, but it doesn't feel like us anymore. So they've pared it back uh, and it's right, an awful lot in. more about the, the core characters, which, yeah. which I do like. Yeah, it was plot over character that when I, was, when I was reading it, it was too plotting. Oh, yeah. And the um, characters weren't developed enough. No. Uh, and, and there were a few, I think there were a few missteps as well yeah. with regards to our primary heroine's love interests. That really bugged me. The guy who taught me how to, well, how to structure TV dramas, a guy called John York, um, who's written a book now about it, but he, he was the head of the BBC Writers Academy. And uh, he was on set of Once More With Feeling when they were filming it. Oh <laughs> was my God. He was doing like, you know, uh, a lot of BBC executives go over to America and watch how they do it. Mm. And he was on the set for that whilst they were filming. That must have been amazing. <laughs> yeah. I do still quiz him about it now. I know it sounds like I'm not doing anything, but I'm actually cartwheeling around the room right <laughs> now in sheer jealousy and spite. Yeah. Um, I actually go to sci-fi cons and I got to meet Drusilla and oh, Spike, right, right. James and Juliet, which right. is, uh, and they're incredibly giving, but very, they, uh, something that everybody that I've met from the Wheaton stable, mm. they have a very, an almost a very intellectual, nobody goes in and just acts, right. they, they want to know the psychological motivations and the, the, mm. you know, the reasons why, and the, they brought so much, you know, when they do their talks and stuff, they give so much back to the... Right fans it was absolutely amazing but the thought that they put into it, it in no way do they just get a script and recite it you know, they, yeah. they agonise over how to portray this and, right. and that, that's I was good. so impressed I was the, like, the, the lot in Sherlock are very similar to that because I've put in a few gags you know, and I admit they're just gags mm. and they're, they're not necessarily in character mm. <laughs> they're not even necessarily you know, based on what's just happened to that character 
and they're the bits that they'll go, I just don't know, I just can't get into this. And Batman just wants to say, well, just, you know, forget. Forget you've been, forget you've been Watson for now and just say that line. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, just sell that gag for us. Um, but when you've got good actors with um, intelligence and sort of respect to the material, um, they're, the, they're the guardians of it mm. and they'll look after it for you. Mm. And you kind of feel, you know, I don't really go into rehearsals. I, I stay up there and do other work. Mm. And if they need me to look at stuff, I'll go down and have a look. Yeah, holler. Um, I've no. Presumably, you and the director have worked out a, a vision, and he's he's doing that side of it. And yeah. Yeah. So, I, I don't know if we have. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, we knew what what we wanted from the start, and we've mm. just kind of gone on with it, and you know, taken the next step when it's come along without. Yeah, I'm presuming he knows what he's doing. But I've, <laughs> I've no idea what the set's what it's going to look like. Yeah. I've no idea. Mm. Um, and I can't wait to see it. And is it, will you do the dress rehearsal thing or are you waiting for the opening night? No, I'll do the dress rehearsal. Um, and I tend to get fed up with it after press night. Mm. So I'll, I'll watch, I'll watch it maybe four times before press night. Uh, and then press night will obviously be hopefully exciting. And then I'll probably just hang about outside rather than <laughs> going in to see it. When I've got people coming to watch it, I'll just wait. Like, so you've mentioned that you're a, a local lad, mm. and obviously you've been away to study and, and presumably to work, but, yeah. um, but you're back. Oh yeah, I never, I never really left. I did university for three years, and I stayed there a year afterwards, and that's it, I moved back to later. Mm. And even though I've worked in Bristol with Casualty in London with all the other shows, I've never been tempted to move. This is home? Yeah, yeah. Plus, they'll make it work more if you need them. <laughs> <laughs> It takes me two and a half hours to get to work if I've got to work in London. That's enough time to relax and chill out, and you know. I think there was a perception of what, like maybe a decade or so ago, that the, the North was somewhat culturally barren. Oh, that, I that, certainly that, argue that that is not the case nowadays. I mean, it just I seems to be a very vibrant no, scene it, here. It's not. I've never believed it to be, but that perception still exists, unfortunately. There's still now. I even face with... it. I face it on a weekly basis. The amount, the amount of people who said to me, oh, you've got Harvey Nicks in Leeds. If the next person says that, I'm going to actually swing. They're surprised. Yeah, me. they're surprised. And they're, Do they know how retail works? They think, yeah, <laughs> they think that that's the, you know, the pinnacle of, of what a northern city could be. Oh, as long as you've got Harvey Nicks, you'll be okay. And there was a guy who, who um, he was trying to be complimentary. He was talking about a brand new writer. So in the Guardian? New talent from Leeds, yeah. Uh, and it wasn't actually from the Guardian, it was the... the company that does the nominations because mm. I did that I started slacking off the Guardian and like, no the Guardian I'm, actually, I'm a Guardian, Guardian girl <laughs> so I was more like oh, who not, wrote that piece yeah. it's, not, it's not allowed in my house liberal nonsense um, anyway uh, so they described this guy as coming from Leeds which was completely out of the devoid of any culture there was some phrase like, like that I was staggered. And well, it was the same week I was organising all my World Book Night events yeah. and I knew the whole city was going crazy to participate. Yeah. And well, fortunately, I wasn't staggered because I, I work with these idiots on a daily basis and, and they really do never, ever step outside of London. And, you know, they believe London to be the centre of the universe as opposed to what it is, which is actually a separate country to England. Mm. And one that's... And we're not, not inhabited, as far as I can tell, by any English people. No. Every time I go through, and I'm always very impressed by the... Colour and the fact that nobody will wear colour, it must oh. be black, you know. Yeah. And the heels, the size of the shoes, but yeah. um, but yeah, I've never met an English person down there. They're all Australians <laughs> or South Africans or, you know. Yeah, and it, it, economy wise as well, I think it takes away from, you know, the rest of the country quite a lot. Because, I mean, in London it really is what recession. 
Yeah. Everything's it's, going really well. Ireland suffers the same thing. We, we went mad for centralisation and then mm. suddenly realised that actually there's a whole yeah. you know, rest, rest of us that need work and jobs and for business yeah. to move out here yeah. in industry and stuff. So, so I mean, I, I do think that to a certain extent my career has probably suffered from not living in London. Mm. There's certainly none of that schmoozing. Mm. I can't do any of that. I'm not very good at any of so it's not a bad thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I kind of think an artist should be true to whatever it is that they're from. Mm. Just in the hope that it will become regionalised again at some point. You know, well, I suppose there's an element that I, if you're I here dream, and doing dream of it. working on a TV show that's actually setting leads. Yeah. That, that would be ideal. I, I know, I'm, I, I mean, an awful lot of stuff at the moment is coming out of Cardiff. Mm. Uh, they say, and, and that's relatively recent. Yeah, it I'm seems going there to tomorrow, actually. Oh. <laughs> I've, never, I've, never, um, I've never been to Cardiff, and I'm going to go tomorrow and see the new um, casualty set. Hopefully, sneak on to Doctor Who as well if I can. I was just going to say, obviously, <laughs> I, um, I can't. I wouldn't even dream of asking you about the fiftieth if you were involved or anything in that. It's it's too secret even to to throw up. But yeah. since since Doctor Who and Torchwood, I think in particular, they yeah. seem to have moved an awful lot of production. I think is the new um, Da Vinci Demons. I think is being shot oh, right. in Swansea. Yeah, that's a stars yeah. uh, production. Um, it would be amazing to have something like that. An equivalent, you know, up here in Yorkshire, and I mean Salford will hopefully become the sort of Cardiff success story, mm. um, because they are moving a lot of production there, and hopefully that have a knock-on effect with you know Newcastle, Leeds, Sheffield, places like mm. that. Um, but you know, the, I can say this: I'm working on a BBC project. I won't, I won't give too many details. It's saying Bradford, it's about Bradford, and nobody from Bradford is working on it. At all. At all? No. And it's all the London crew being brought up to shoot it. Uh, London actors, London everything. And you just kind of think we're never going to move forward. And we're right beside the BBC Yorkshire now. There's a, yeah. an ITV right here. You kind of feel, yeah. a heck, Emmerdale. Well, that's like, you know, there, there are teams here that are... Yeah. That could be involved, you yeah. know. It's, um, well, that's, you know, that, you know, that's sort of where the productions come from. So the more regionalisation we can get, the better. Mm. You know, if if there was a BBC Yorkshire and they'd have dealt with that, and it would have been yeah, you know, it would have been uh, artists and crew from up here. Mm. So I mean, you know, more power to Cardiff really, um, because I know it's the case that you know a lot of the people that are working on Casual in Hull, you know, mm. from Cardiff and you know, from Wales, and and that's the way it should be. Well, I, mean, I think it's actually an international phenomenon. I've noticed mm. there's an awful lot of. Um, actors that I've been watching for many, many years, they've all gone back home to Canada. Yeah. They've started to make television shows there mm. because, you know, they've, they've done the LA thing, they've done the New York thing, they've yeah. run away, made success stories of themselves and then gone, it's an awful shame we're not doing this yeah. where I grew up. Sure. Where, you know, it, um, and I just gasp, like, watching a show actually set in Vancouver because you're going, but I've seen all of those streets from the X Files, from yeah. everything you know, Torch. Uh, oh, sorry, not Torchwood, um, Terminator, but all of yeah. the TV series that were there. So there does seem to be a desire to bring local voices back, mm. rather than just having it all be. It relies on the artists themselves, though. Mm. You know, the more often Patrick Stewart and Christopher Eccleston and people like that, John Sim, mm. come back up here and work. I think it was my favourite line from the uh, uh, initial Doctor Who. And Billy Piper says, how come you sound like you're from North? I mean, when every planet has a North, I thought it was just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. spot on, you know. Yeah, sorry. Um, anyhow, 
yeah, sorry, I feel like I've been rambling on here. But it was such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for uh, for chatting with us, Mark. I can't wait to see to see the play. I, I am a, Sh a Sherlock fan as well. Fantastic. I won't approach you. I'll, I'll tweet about it once uh, <laughs> once it starts. I want to know what you thought of it afterwards. Oh, definitely, Anna. And it's uh, just terrific to have you here. And obviously, next time that you're you're doing anything up here, yeah. expect me knocking on the door. So. No, no problem. Thanks very Thank much. Thank you very much.